Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show. Sorry I missed you guys yesterday. Had a, a spur of the moment, uh, literally 15 minutes before the show situation come up and we had to go to best of tape. Uh, but I'm here today and the news is final. Elon Musk has bought Twitter and there is a glorious meltdown over the whole situation, uh, Arid Melber on MSNBC, listen to this. He says this might happen. This might happen if Musk takes over. You own all of Twitter or Facebook or what have you. You don't have to explain yourself. You don't even have to be transparent. You could secretly ban one party's candidate or all of its candidates, all of its nominees. Or you could just secretly turn down the reach of their stuff and turn up the reach of something else. And the rest of us might not even find out about it till after the election. Elon Musk says this is all to help people because he is just a free speech, philosophically clear, open-minded helper. Uh, the current Twitter mem- mem- uh, management has banned Donald Trump. The current Twitter management uh, is alleged to have what's called shadow banned people. I actually think most of the people who think they're shadow banned are actually just bad at Twitter. They suck. Uh, Their tweets don't get traction. And they say, oh, I must be shadow banned. I didn't get enough likes. Nah, actually, your tweet sucked. Uh, There are instances, though, where it has happened and Twitter has admitted they have done this. They've essentially uh, turned down people's reach, their ability to see. A lot of conservatives just convinced They've been shadow banned. I don't think that's the case, but I do think it does happen in some cases. They have disproportionately gone after people on the right. My account got turned off for factually accurately saying that uh, Laurel Hubbard, the transgender weightlifter who was competing as a woman in the Olympics, was a biological male. I used the phrase biological male, true statement of fact. My account got turned off for daring to say that. Uh, Elon Musk is a free speech absolutist, and these people are having a meltdown over it. The First Amendment does not apply to private companies, but if you wish it to apply to a private company, you're allowed to apply it to a private company. Elon Musk is an African immigrant to the United States of America who has become the world's wealthiest man. He is the quintessential American success story, and the left is having a meltdown. Interestingly enough, we should be thanking all of the progressives who bought Teslas for making this day possible. AOC has a Tesla. We should be sending thank you cards to Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez for buying Teslas uh, to make this happen for Elon Musk to be able to buy Twitter. Listen, I first of all, you need to note that Elon Musk is not a conservative. I've, I'm not quite sure how Musk became a darling of conservatives. He's not one. He's a progressive hedonist. He uh, is is of the left socially. He is a hedonist. Uh, he's not a Christian. He is uh, of the left uh, largely politically. He takes government subsidies. That's how he made Tesla so big. He's not some libertarian. He's libertine. He's not libertarian. He's not the darling of the right. 
And yet uh, it, it is in the, it, it just an absolute meltdown by people on the left. He was the left wing darling until all of a sudden he dared to suggest that, you know, maybe Twitter shouldn't be banning. I don't know the accounts of the sitting president of the United States when they're not going to ban the, the propagandists of communist China or the uh, mullahs of Iran. Why are you banning the president of the United States? Uh, this all came, by the way, because Twitter banned the Babylon Bees account. That was, by and large, the impetus, the final act that broke the the camel's back that got Elon Musk to start thinking about this. Why? Uh, Elon Musk had done an interview with the Babylon Bee guys. It was a great interview. It was about free speech, among other things. And then the Babylon Bee's account got suspended on Twitter because the Babylon Bee gave Rachel Levin a Man of the Year award. They, they said they were giving her a man of the year award or some such, or her. I said, it, 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 Rachel Levin is a, is a man, uh, him. They gave him the man of the year award. And I'm so used to calling people named Rachel women, but Rachel Levin is actually a, a dude. And uh, you couldn't say that on Twitter. And they got their account turned off. And Elon Musk took notice of the fact that Twitter is disproportionately applying its rules to people on the right. People on the left can say all sorts of absurd and atrocious things, hateful things, death threats and the like, and rarely will they get their account turned off. Uh, Additionally, Twitter has something, if you're not on Twitter, and most people aren't, and I want to actually get to that here in a minute, but Twitter has something called trending topics, and trending topics are not algorithmically generated. Twitter topics are run by individual progressives at Twitter who use it as a way to engage and incite mobs on the left. That is very much something you need to understand. It doesn't get covered a lot. The trending topics have editorial comments underneath them, and those editorial comments tend to be written by progressives. So, for example, a progressive who's worked for a lot of left-wing causes and left-wing organizations named Judd Legum uh, now spends his days trying to generate mob outrage against corporations giving to the right. Uh, Judd Legum targeted Toyota yesterday and pointed out Toyota was giving money to Republican candidates who had defended January 6th. And it was all to get the mob. And Judd Legum uh, is a former Clinton operative, progressive, worked at a progressive think tank. And the Twitter editorialist who decided to highlight his story as a trending topic just referred to him as a, a journalistic investigator and left all the partisanship out of it, left all the partisan angle when they know that this is the guy. But there's a larger story here that I think is very important, and this is the one that I think everybody needs to understand. This is the most important topic. Much like Fox News, CNN, and MSNBC, Twitter really does not have a lot of Americans using it. You may, We've got a nation of 330 million people and maybe a million or two watch Fox. Another million watch CNN and and MSNBC. 25 million Americans have Twitter accounts. Uh, Maybe two and a half million to three million Americans use them disproportionately. It's progressives who use it. 
Overwhelmingly, members of the media use Twitter because Twitter has become the kind of social gathering place, the town square, where a lot of journalists do their basic reporting. The number of stories in news outlets based on three or four angry people on Twitter who are anonymous is amazing these days, particularly in the entertainment press. You get two or three people who say something on Twitter. There's going to be a news story suggesting it's a trend when really it's three anonymous trolls on Twitter complaining. This is really the big problem here. Twitter disproportionately is used by progressives and reporters, and you can tell by some of the reaction by reporters outraged that Elon Musk may dare to enforce Twitter's rules equally and fairly or scale them back to allow more speech. Even if the media considers it misinformation or disinformation, you can tell Twitter's become their safe place and they are upset that Elon Musk might allow people in who they don't get to control. Twitter disproportionately censors people on the right against the left in large part because reporters get outraged by people on the right and beg Twitter to do it. But overwhelmingly, most Americans are there and they don't care about the issue. And that goes to a larger issue here as well, the January 6th issue. Now, I will readily submit January 6th is far more serious than Elon Musk buying Twitter. And in fact, I, to this day, think the people who stormed the U.S. Capitol should, by and large, go to jail. There are some who just happened to wander in. They thought, oh, the crowd went in. Let's go see what's going on. And they trespassed technically, but really, they didn't know what they were doing. They thought you'd go into the Capitol. You used to be able to wander into the Capitol. But there were a lot of malcontents and malicious people who stormed the Capitol. I think they should go to jail. I think it was a big deal. I think a lot of people on the right downplay January 6th. However, a lot of people on the left overplay it give it disproportionate coverage in large part because they hope, they don't think, they hope it will hurt Republicans in November. And members of the media go overboard in January 6th coverage. But here's the thing. As much as it was a big deal, it was bad. It should be condemned. I can say all those things. It's not going to matter. I'm still going to get hate mail for saying this. Most Americans don't care. Most Americans don't care. They really don't. They just don't. I'm sorry. They don't care about Twitter being bought by Elon Musk. They don't care about January 6th. They got bigger issues. The cost of gas, empty store shelves, the cost of groceries, uh, their declining paycheck based on inflation, all of these things. The, the public cares far more about these things than they do January 6th or Tesla or, or Elon Musk rather buying Twitter. And yet the media disproportionately covers these things in large part because reporters who cover these things are on Twitter. They see what is being talked about on Twitter. They presume that people off Twitter must care about it. And so they give disproportionate weight. There is an argument to be made that a lot of reporters give disproportionate weight to January 6th because of the, the seriousness of the matter. But I don't actually think that's it. Now, I know if you care about January six greatly you you will deny this with your dying breath and say i'm wrong but actually you are wrong you too are on social media and care about this more likely than not than people with no social media accounts twitter shapes the news disproportionate to what Americans care about. It has also sabotaged political campaigns. Kamala Harris and Elizabeth Warren, when both of them dropped out of the 2020 presidential race, 
the chief internal criticisms were they cared much more about winning the daily fight on Twitter and what people on Twitter thought than real Americans, and Twitter isn't reality. The attacks on Dave Chappelle, the comedian, came overwhelmingly from online progressive activists. As he said, Twitter's not reality. Real Americans, they, they don't care. People offline, they, they don't care. And Twitter has shaped media narratives, the way the media covers stuff and what the media covers based on reporters being always present. If Elon Musk buys it and it drives reporters to get off Twitter, it will actually be a good thing. One of the smartest things he could do would be to get rid of trending topics, uh, get rid of quote tweets uh, that, that usually people do to harass, and third, shut it down one day a week, force people to go offline. There's a scene in the movie Ready Player One where everyone is, is in a virtual reality engine, essentially. It's how they spend their days. And the, the proprietors of it at the end of the movie, they shut it down one day a week. It's good for people's health to get offline and actually have people engaged, making eye contact with each other. Uh, it, it would be wise of Elon Musk to do that. I doubt he will, but he should. This probably shouldn't be the biggest story out there. But so much of the media is engaged in, on, and around the conversations of Twitter, it disproportionately becomes the biggest story of the day. And that's a damning indictment on how the press does its job these days, because I venture to guess that nine out of 10 of you think there's a bigger story out there than this one that should be covered. The border, the dead border patrol agent, things like that. There's so much more, and, and yet we're we're forced to listen to the hysterics of people who are upset that Elon Musk, an American success story, it's an American success story, an African immigrant. I guess you could call him an African American, who is the world's wealthiest man. An American success story has bought Twitter to take it private so it is less bullied by shareholders and advertisers into doing things that one side with political clout wants so that he can preserve and protect the town hall. Jeff Bezos bought the Washington Post, and the left was okay with that. The idea that Elon Musk might buy to preserve and protect Twitter has them outraged. Why? Because they don't really care about speech and ideas. They care about having their own safe space. And now it might just be a little safer for them. It might be a little more dangerous for them. It might be a little more free speechy. And that's actually good for democracy, not bad for it. Hello, it's Eric Erickson here. This is the Eric Erickson Show across America. The phone number is 877-973-7425. One programming note, I'm, I'm doing the all call now here. Uh, there is a big, big Senate race in Georgia. And it is my intention to invite on each of those candidates for the two o'clock hour uh, and allow them to do uh, spend an hour with me on radio live and really answer the who are you, why are you running, uh, what's in it for Georgia sort of question. Uh, Non-combative probative questions that allow them to tell their story instead of me trying to step in the middle and, and uh, argue with them and, and be combative with them, very much like I have done in the past with the candidates for office. Now, for those of you nationally, I realize a lot of you don't care about that. And I will make sure to balance this out. So uh, for the national show, you've got me uh, with 
the current news, but also live on my flagship station, we can have these candidates. So we'll figure out a way to work it out for everybody. And some of you who are interested will be able to make it available to you. But I just, I, I want to do, my flagship station, WSB, is where I got my start. And I would like to do that with them, uh, given the pool of people in the Atlanta area who are there. And I do have a ton of stations in Georgia, so it may be worth it. I don't know. We'll work out the details and see. But I want to invite all the, the Republican Senate candidates in Georgia to spend time with me. Uh, each of them gets an hour. It's the 2 p.m. hour. That's kind of non-negotiable. Uh, live in studio with me if they want it. I don't know whether Herschel Walker will do it. I'm certainly going to reach out to him and see. Um, and again, it's it's non-combative stuff. It, it's who are you? Give us your biography. Why are you running? What sets you apart from the other candidate? I mean, these are the questions. I'm going to literally ask them these questions. Talk about prep. Who are you? Why are you running? What is your background? Forget national issues. What about Georgia in particular? Now do national issues. What sets you apart from all of the other candidates? And uh, what sets you apart from the incumbent Raphael Warnock? There's your questions. You got an hour to answer those. Uh, and I will I will see if I can get them all in. Now, um, there is, you should know, polling out of Georgia on probably the most watched primary in the entire country. In fact, the Washington Post has a big story today about the uh, Brian Kemp-David Perdue race down in Georgia. Gubernatorial candidates, the incumbent governor facing a hand-picked challenger from, uh, from Donald Trump. There was a debate on Sunday night. I venture to guess 90% of people didn't even watch it, the debate. That, that's my guess is 90% of people who could watch it didn't watch I don't know anyone who watched the debate. I, I typically, outside of presidential races these days, I don't watch them. I, I did not watch the debate. I had to go back and do it as part of show prep. I've got audio from it when we come back. It, it, it's, this is, it's interesting because at the end of the race, there's a lot of polling out that shows Kemp uh, well outside the margin of error and also uh, above 50%, meaning there will be no runoff if if the polls are right. And I've heard from a number of outside groups whose polling reflects the exi- uh, existing lay of the land in the polling. Uh, and so I suspect there will be two more debates. No one will watch those either. And early voting will begin. We'll see. I want to spend a little bit of time playing audio as part of a larger story. Trump has now gotten in on J.D. Vance's behalf in Ohio. Ted Budd has now surged into the lead in North Carolina. The media has been running these stories of its doom and gloom for Trump. But actually, it's not really. Maybe outside of Georgia, where I think he did actually lose, uh, where, where voters have kind of moved on to 2022 and 2024, but he's still got some cloud out there, and we'll discuss that. I'll take your phone calls as well. The phone number is 877-973-7425. After we get through that, my gosh, the latest polling for Joe Biden, it is going to be a disaster for the Democrats in November. Hello there. There's some breaking news here. It is Eric Erickson here. Breaking news, Kamala Harris, Vice President of the United States, has tested positive for COVID-19 with a rapid test. She is asymptomatic, uh, will be in isolation, has no symptoms. Also, the Biden administration is announcing that uh, they are reversing uh, energy exploration in the Arctic National Wildlife Reserve. Uh, So as much as they say they want to expand supplies of petroleum to lower prices, they actually are not going to do that. They're restricting it. Now, uh, down in Georgia on Sunday night, uh, 
There was a gubernatorial debate in the primary. It's gotten a lot of national coverage in large part because Donald Trump is supporting David Perdue. There is polling from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution has Brian Kemp at 53% of the vote. Uh, Thus far, Perdue has not been able to make headway. Now, I will say uh, that the... um, the polling, though it has Kemp at 53% and Purdue at 27%, was taken between April 10th and 22nd. Uh, I actually don't like those polls. I, I, I don't like polls that last that long. Dynamics can change. I don't know, though, that dynamics have changed here. I do know of two outside groups who have done uh, what I would say is better polling of likely voters, larger pool of voters over a shorter period of time last week. Uh, One of those has, I'm not allowed to tell you who, but uh, they're both outside groups who have an interest in the race. One has Kemp at 54%, one has Kemp at 50%. I am told reliably that Kemp's polling looks like the AJC polling, uh, so around 53%. Uh, the only people, uh, let me read this, uh, Purdue only outpolled Kemp among likely GOP voters who said a Trump endorsement would make them more likely to vote for a candidate, leading 55 to 30 percent among that group. Uh, but overall, uh, they said it would uh, make no difference. 71% of Republicans in the poll gave Kemp a positive review compared with 21% of viewed him unfavorably. By contrast, 57% of likely GOP voters had a favorable view of Purdue and nearly one third had a negative image of him. So Purdue and, and Kemp both still have high favorables. Now, I've got some audio uh, there of their opening statements. Uh, Kemp's opening statement focused on the culture war aspect. He's trying to balance this with moderate independent voters. He, he had some culture war aspect to his opening. Let's listen to Kemp's opening statement. You never could see the new styles they're wearing like women folks walking out around in men's pants. And you couldn't see grown men wearing rompers instead of uncles. They look more like apes. Tonight, why did you leave me here all alone? I searched the world over and I thought I found true love. You met another and you were gone. Now that, that was Brian Kemp's opening statement focused on the, the transgender sports ban and, and men and women. Well, Purdue's opening statement sought to explain why he was supporting Brian Kemp up until a month before he entered the race. And then suddenly couldn't support him anymore. Here's Kemp, or David Perdue's opening statement of the debate. The neighbors know well the reason we broke up. I found out the way you got your enjoys. You used to send back the gifts I would send you. But you would keep the delivery boys. Thank you to the fine folks at Hee Haw. Actually, uh, I'll just give you, if you want a real taste of the debate, this is, and I'll, I'll, I'll explain why after this is the if debate. A Democrat, even his strongest supporters, would be calling this a gross, corrupt cover-up. Well, first of all, I'm not going to let you call me corrupt like you let John Ossoff call you corrupt. <laughs> 
and your record and what you're saying is completely false. And look, I was Secretary of State for eight years, and I don't need to be lectured by someone that lost their last election about what our voting laws are and who has responsibilities for those. Well, the only reason I'm not in the United States Senate is because you caved in and gave the elections to Stacey, or to uh, the Liberal Democrats in 2020. You're the top cop in this state. It's your job to make sure that we prosecute voter fraud. And right now, you're telling the people of Georgia that not one person violated the law in voter fraud in 2020. Is that right? That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is we got information, some from one of your friends that sent it to us, and we actually did something about it, and we sent it to the Secretary of State. And what's been done about that? But you're talking about somebody that was a candidate on the ballot that didn't even ask for a recount. And while we were passing the strongest election integrity act in the country, you were nowhere to be found. Weak leaders take credit when things go well. Weak leaders well, blame and I'm telling people. You they blame somebody else when it doesn't. Hey, weak leaders blame everybody else for their own loss instead of themselves. I stand for the truth. <laughs> that basically was the Republican debate in Georgia on Sunday night. Now, I, I, I will tell you. Um, I don't think it's going to make up anybody's mind. I, I Look, the only people I know who watched that debate were the partisans for Kemp and Purdue. People who were undecided, they had better things to do on Sunday night than watch uh, David Purdue and Brian Kemp yell at each other. It didn't make any sense. Uh, I don't think these debates are deeply persuasive one way or the other. Uh, but it's it's a slugfest uh, that makes the partisans on both sides happy. I got the uh, Brian Kemp wins the debate email, and I got the David Perdue wins the debate email within minutes of each other. It's garbage. The larger issue is Donald Trump's involvement. Now, I'm told from Greg Bluestein, uh, one of the best political reporters in the nation, he's down in Georgia, that $2 million of additional funding is coming into David Perdue's race down in Georgia. Uh, we got a door knocker yesterday, came by for the Kemp campaign, uh, putting hangers on the front door of our house. I haven't seen anything from the Purdue camp. Uh, the Brian Kemp camp message right now is pushing absentee balloting. He's kept Georgia safe, strong, and open when other governors closed it. That was kind of the 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 uh, note on the on the hanger for the door. Haven't seen that with the Purdue team, which is interesting. Uh, the Kemp team clearly has a ground game trying to win an absentee ballot race in Georgia. Interestingly enough, uh, absentee balloting is a little more complicated. So in the last election, this is all because of the voter reform law, in the last election, I could go online, fill out a form, and submit a, a, my absentee ballot. With the current one, I've actually got a, a, I can fill out the form online, but then I have to convert it to a PDF. I've got to sign it, and then I've got to uh, send it back. It's a more complicated process. It's going to reduce the number of absentee ballots, which, frankly, I don't think that's a bad thing. Uh, more people should be voting on Election Day. I just know I'm going to be tied up with this job on Election Day and not be able to do it. Uh, so it, the AJC polling, it's worth thinking about here because Herschel Walker dominates. Uh, Walker is nowhere to be seen around the state except in uh, select venues. He's not doing a lot of interviews. I, I'm going to invite him on the show um, just to let him make his case to voters without any pushback from me. Just who are you? Why are you running? What's your background? How do you separate yourself from everybody else? What do you want to do for Georgia? And he's at 66% in the polls. Now, this comes after some really sustained, nasty attacks on him. Uh, he's being challenged by Gary Black, the state ag commissioner, uh, Latham Sadler, a Navy SEAL, Kelvin King, a, a housing contractor who ran uh, Black Voters for Trump here in Georgia. And he's just, he's got only 10% have a negative view of him. 
Uh, it, it's three quarters. Seventy five percent of voters have a favorable view of him in the state. And look, the Warnock team is freaked out. I, I have said all along that uh, I do think there is concern. I've talked to prominent Republicans in Washington who have concerns about Herschel Walker and the things the Democrats are going to do to him, and they don't know that he and his team are prepared. And they're worried. They actually are worried that Georgia should be an easy win, and they're concerned. But given the polling in the race, I'm thinking he's going to win. I think he's going to beat Warnock. The fact that Warnock is already in panic mode doing defensive advertising is a good sign for Herschel Walker. And, you know, he doesn't have to be on a debate stage. I mean, the media will complain, but who's really going to care whether he's on the debate stage with Warnock other than the Democrats? He's Herschel Walker, after all. So he could still do that. What I find notable is that uh, Brad Raffensperger is ahead of the Secretary of State's race in Georgia. That's the Republican Secretary of State that Donald Trump was, was the first candidate Donald Trump said needed to be beaten in 2022. He's slightly ahead of my friend Jody. I, I like both guys. I've kind of stayed out of the race. I like them both tremendously. Jody's a phenomenal member of Congress. I kind of wish he was staying in Congress. I get why he's running, though. But uh, Heiss is two points behind Raffensperger. Uh, and then Burt Jones is ahead of Butch Miller in the lieutenant governor's race in Georgia. They're both low. Um, turnout's going to matter there. Miller's the current president pro tem of the Senate. Burt Jones is backed by Donald Trump. He's a state senator from um, uh, the middle Georgia area, Monticello, Jackson, that area. So uh, those two outside of Georgia, let me put this in larger perspective for you. The biggest deal race of Trump's uh, endorsements is David Perdue versus Brian Kemp. And Kemp is probably going to win without a runoff. And the media headlines are going to be, oh, my gosh, it's bad for Donald Trump. It's not really. Kemp did what he needed to do. The media is going to play up a loss by Purdue bigger than it actually will be. Why? Because Ted Budd is running for the U.S. Senate in North Carolina. And Budd is ahead of, um, uh, what's his name, Uh, the former governor of, of North Carolina. And isn't it one of those things, or McCrory, I keep thinking Pat Toomey, no, Pat McCrory is the uh, former governor of North Carolina. He was the one who passed the transgender bathroom ban in North Carolina, was thereafter uh, removed from office, and the media said it was about that. It was actually about a lot of other stuff. He's been ahead, and now suddenly Bud has surged into the lead. So Trump's going to have that win. J.D. Vance is in Ohio. J.D. Vance, uh, who wrote Hillbilly Elegy, he's backed by Peter Thiel, now by Donald Trump as well, and he is surging in Ohio. So Trump may get his guy there. He'll lose Dr. Oz in Pennsylvania, but he'll get those two in North Carolina and Ohio. So it's kind of a wash for Trump's endorsements. The media is so obsessed still with Donald Trump, who, by the way, says he will not come back to Twitter. He allegedly, from what I'm told, has contract obligations with True Social, his social media account, and he's going to stay there. Uh, I suspect we're going to wind up seeing him come back to Twitter, honestly, but his campaign insists no, he's not. Um, But the media is so obsessed with the... David Perdue lost in Georgia. That's probably going to happen. They are going to monumentally make it about Donald Trump. The fact of the matter is, Burt Jones is ahead of Butch Miller. Donald Trump picked him. Herschel Walker is ahead of all the other candidates combined. Donald Trump picked him. Jody Heiss is roughly tied with Raffensperger. Donald Trump picked Heiss. 
And the other two people, uh, I even forget their names. They're running for attorney general and for um, insurance commissioner. He, Trump should have never weighed in on those races. Uh, the incumbents are actually phenomenal conservative people who will probably win. And no one's going to pay attention to those races anyway. But because the media is the media, the media is obsessed with Trump's wins and loss record. They will tend to ignore Ohio, and they will tend to ignore North Carolina. And I don't know that J.D. Vance is going to pull it out in Ohio, but the fact is Trump's come in and done work for him, and that's giving him a surge of the polling. Clearly, there is a market for Trump endorsements, but they need to be selective. Donald Trump's problem in Georgia was that he decided to endorse in every race with a lot of untested candidates who had loyalty to him, and they're not the best candidates, including, frankly, uh, David Perdue has not been the best candidate. He's not good on the campaign trail. And it it's very notable that in Donald Trump or in, in David Perdue's campaign in Georgia, all of his crowds have been pretty small, including one yesterday after the debate. Pretty small. And that's that's kind of a uh signifier for me that the campaign has just never caught wind in Georgia, particularly against a guy who really has done every, almost everything right as governor. Uh, Kemp's done a very good job. He remains very popular. He's been very conservative. He got a uh, constitutional carry passed, transgender sports ban passed, a parental bill of rights passed, uh, the fetal heartbeat ban passed. He uh, reopened the state of Georgia before every other governor, including uh, Ron DeSantis in Florida, who gets all the attention. He's done so much right. It's a very hard excuse to replace him. And most importantly, he beat Stacey Abrams once and Purdue couldn't even beat John Ossoff. That matters a lot for so many Republicans who have internalized they've got to stop Stacey Abrams. Now, you right now are actually probably more internalized in, oh, my gosh, what are we going to do with my 401k, my IRA and the like? People are starting to really get panicked about this stuff. And I don't blame people for getting panicked about this stuff. Uh, I have never in the past uh, endorsed a gold company because the economy was so strong. Stocks and bonds and everything were so good. But we're back to Jimmy Carter's economy, thanks to Joe Biden. We hadn't seen inflation like this in 40 years. The interest rate hikes we're seeing, the increased gas prices. So the economy is far different from what you and I are used to. If you got $50,000 or more in your IRA, your 401k or other retirement savings, your money could be at risk. You don't have a lot of options, but you can protect your money with physical gold and silver precious metals. Call my friends at GoldCo, 855-904-5933. You're going to get a free wealth protection kit to learn how to use gold and silver to protect and grow your money. You get thousands of retirees are protecting their retirement savings, and many are getting $10,000 or more in free silver for doing it. Call my friends at GoldCo. Find out how to qualify for the special offer. They've helped thousands of Americans at GoldCo protect their retirement against inflation and stock market crashes. GoldCo may be able to help you. Reach out to them. Text the word ERIC, E-R-I-C-K, to 33777. Text Eric, E-R-I-C-K, to 33777. I will send you Gold Coast toll-free number. Call them, see if they might be able to help you. I have read a lot of brutal things this week. This may be the most brutal thing I have read this week. This is from MJ Lee on Twitter. She is the CNN White House correspondent. First sentence, breaking, uh, Vice President Kamala Harris has tested positive for COVID, White House says. Second sentence, she is not considered a close contact of President Biden. 
Now, last I checked, and maybe they've changed this. Um, yeah, yeah, they still call it the Biden-Harris administration on the White House website. This is the first time they've added the vice president's name there, but uh, she is clearly in the administration's uh, name and name only. She's not considered a close contact of President Biden. It's a pretty damning indictment on the whole setup when the White House is telling White House reporters that the vice president is not a close contact to the president of the United States. Ouch. Now, speaking of Twitter, uh, I got about a minute, 40 seconds. Ken, I don't want to keep you waiting. Welcome to the program. Hi. Hi there. Yes, uh, I just was, you're a very smart person. I just want to get your take on who's bankrolling all this stuff and why this is happening and why we can't be allowed to have free speech. Yeah, so uh, Musk is worth something like $215 billion, and he's buying, he'll get a good portion of funding from banks. He will find $21 billion of his own or other investors to make it happen and thinks that he can change Twitter in such a way to make it easier for advertisers. Remember, Twitter prohibited political advertising, which he will probably bring back, so he'll be able to make his money back over time. Uh, it's not a bad deal, frankly, but you know what? The man's got 200 some odd billion dollars. If he wants to buy it, privatize it and, and, and treat it like it's the public trust as the public down square, he's allowed to do that. If he will stop disproportionately letting progressives at Twitter censor people they don't like, that will be, uh, even better. We'll see whether or not they're able to pull it off. Okay, the phone number here, 877-973-7425. When we come back, we really got to move nationally to the situation with the President of the United States. He is really in a, it, it is a bad, not good setup for the Democrats in November. It keeps getting worse. And even one of the most famous Democratic pollsters, Mark Penn, is out saying, this is the perfect storm. Doom awaits the Democratic Party.